It seems that North Korea is on our minds a lot lately, probably because they keep getting into the headlines of the news. And uh, we know that uh, usually when we're talking about North Korea, there seems to be this propensity to be talking about their missiles. Every time uh, North Korea tests one of its missiles, it seems to be threatening its neighbors and its enemies. It's saying, watch out because we can do you harm. And I think that this threat is particularly significant because we know that North Korea is also trying to um, fit those missiles with nuclear warheads. But thankfully, at this point at least, I think, um, and there seems to be some confusion about this, it seems that perhaps they don't uh, have that capability quite yet to attach a nuclear warhead to the missile. At least they don't have one that would be able to uh, reach North America. And so when we, we hear these um, threats that aren't usually verbal, usually by sending off missiles, um, we have to kind of assess what is the real weight of that threat? Um, is there real danger here or not? You know, sometimes we hear about their missiles um, kind of falling over or, or blowing up midair and, and that sort of thing. And sort of like you start to reassess the threat, right? And sort of determine the, the weight of that, any particular threat. Of course, the threat increases if they're capable of applying a nuclear warhead to a missile. And it goes down if they really haven't acquired that technology yet. When we, when we left Peter and John in our study of Acts, they were leaving the company of the Sadducees, and they were being threatened by the Sadducees to stop continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are the words of the Sadducees found in Acts 4, 21. After further threats, those aren't the words, but this is what happened. After further threats, they let them go. They didn't like them teaching about Jesus. And we talked last week about why they were concerned about the teachings of Christ. But Christ taught something that was diametrically opposed to their worldview and their mindset. Peter and John in the early church, their response to these threats, I think can be really helpful to us as the church in the 21st century. The reason I say this is that the church and the faith is threatened. And I don't mean that in the sense of kind of like that North Korea thing. I don't really consider the weight of it significant, but certainly it seems that the threat level keeps getting ratcheted up in our world. The church is being pushed to the margins. The faith is under attack. And so 
how the early church responded to the threat of the Sadducees to, to, to never preach the gospel again, how they responded is very instructive, I think, very helpful for us as the, early, as, as the church today. So I'm going to read from Acts uh, 4, verses 23 to 37. And uh, this occurs right after Peter and John are released by the Sadducees. They've been threatened. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerful at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. The question I want us to address this morning then is this. What did the disciples do when faced with the threats of those religious leaders, the Sadducees? Let's just go through it quickly. They shared their threats with their brothers and sisters in Christ. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so they shared what was going on. They didn't think to themselves, oh, we can't tell these guys because they'll all be horrified and, and that'll end the good work that God is doing. No, they, 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 they didn't overthink it. They knew that they needed the support of the body of Christ. And so in our mission too, you know, if we're going to fulfill a mission, we can't do it in isolation. We need the body of Christ. Then they prayed together. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Notice that their prayer is together. Notice that they are reaching out to not just the support, for just the support of the brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're reaching up to God and they're bringing him into what's going on in their lives. They prayed together. Now this next thing that they did is very interesting because 
Scripture teaches us that sometimes we don't know how to pray. And I wonder sometimes uh, whether or not Peter and John and this early church who are being threatened by the very people who killed Jesus, crucified Jesus. I wonder if they knew what to pray. But as Scripture says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers. We don't don't know what to pray sometimes. And so I'm going to say that they were reminded of the sovereignty of God. I think that that was probably part due to them trying to find some way to respond to this threat. But also, I think, it's related to and can be can be given uh, as evidence that the Holy Spirit was at work in their lives. And so the Holy Spirit in their prayer life, reminded them of the sovereignty of God. And so they're reaching out for help, and their prayer, which is being guided by the Holy Spirit, results in these three things. First, they say, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You see, they're faced with a a threat, and what they do is they are reminded of the fact that they are serving the sovereign God who is the creator and sustainer of everything. He has the ultimate rule and he is in control. And so as they're threatened, their hearts turn to the truths that they know about God's sovereignty and that he is the creator and sustainer and has all the power (coughs) needed. to take care of them and their situation. The second thing that they pray for in relation to the God's sovereignty is this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? (laughs) The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The key word, of course, words are in vain. Right? I mean, Scripture is very clear that, that God raises leaders up and then and then he he just lets them fade away and blows them away as if they're dust. I mean, the, we, we put so much stock in the powerful um, of this world and, and the leaders um, and, 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 and the fact of the matter is that God is in control. And so they take solace and they take comfort from these threats in the fact that they are serving uh, a powerful God who is in charge and can overrule any authority that has been raised up. And then the third thing that they pray for with regard to sovereignty is this. They did what they, that is now we're talking about the Jewish leaders and the Romans, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. You see, It's hard for us to wrap our minds around the sovereignty of God because we're so limited. But the fact of the matter is that, uh, and and, and don't hear what I am saying, not what I'm not saying, uh, but the crucifixion was orchestrated by God himself. We like to say that, we like to say that, you know, the Jews killed 
killed Jesus, or the Romans killed, killed Jesus. That only happened because it was part of God's redemptive plan. And so, they, they say, you know, that, that in fact, what happened in the crucifixion of Jesus only happened because God allowed it to happen. Why would God allow His Son to be crucified? Well, that's the crux of the Gospel. He allowed that because He wanted to save you and me. That's why He did it. So, they've been reminded of three things about the sovereignty of God in, the, in their prayers. They've been reminded that God is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. They've been reminded that the earthly powers uh, can do all that they want, but it's all vanity. It's just in vain because God is in control. He is sovereign. And, in fact, He's working out His will on the earth. And so, if you're under threat from the Sadducees, who crucified Jesus Christ, you would take great comfort and great solace in knowing that you are serving someone who is greater, far greater than they are. And it would put their threats in perspective, right? Just like the North Korean threat, which you know, everybody seems to be getting more and more concerned about, but quite frankly... How weighty really is that threat? Do they actually have the technology? Mm -hmm. Right? So if, 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 if they don't, it's a pretty hollow threat. <laughs> really. And, and the fact of the matter is that these threats from the Sadducees, God is reminding them through His Holy Spirit in their prayer, hollow threats. I'm in control. You know, they, they can do this and that, but only if I allow it. I'm in control. So they get the perspective of God in their prayer as they respond to these threats from the Sadducees. The next thing they do is they ask God for boldness. Now, Lord, or consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So they're not going to stop. They've been reminded of the greatness of God, so they're not going to stop, and they just ask for boldness, for courage to overcome these threats and to continue to do the work that God called them to. Then they ask God for uh, power to continue the mission. They say to God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Give us the power to do what you call us to do. You've enabled us, you've equipped us, you've given everything we need to do your mission. And so, Lord, empower us to do your mission. The next one is really interesting. They demonstrated their commitment. The best way for me to ask you to demonstrate your commitment to something is to do what Jesus did to the rich young ruler. He says, I've done everything right. <laughs> I've followed the law impeccably. I've done everything right. What else do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? The rich young ruler says. And Jesus says, Oh, give away your possessions. That'll do it. You see, words are cheap. Your possessions aren't cheap. 
And if God asks you to give up your possessions and you do it, no doubt you're committed. You're committed. And so what they did in that early church is they just showed their commitment because they said, what's mine is yours and what yours is mine. We are together. We're just going to take care of everybody's needs. People had stuff. They sold it and gave it to the, the common pot. You see, they showed their commitment to the mission by surrendering, being willing to give up everything. Nothing, <laughs> you know, as, as Scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So if your heart is committed, your treasure is committed too. <laughs> You're willing to give it up. Unfortunately, the rich young ruler chose his possessions. And, and, and it broke Christ's heart that he did. And then finally, they continued their mission. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to what? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What was it that, if you remember from last week, what was it that got the Sadducees all uptight and all upset? The resurrection. Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in afterlife. They didn't believe in the spirit world. They figured this life is all there is. So I love the fact that Luke, when he's writing this, says they just went on teaching about the resurrection. <laughs> Even though the Sadducees threatened them. And they had the power to do they thought they had the power to do what they wanted, but they only had the power to do what God allowed them to do. And so they went forward and they continued the mission. But they didn't change the message. I love that. They still taught about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't change the message because they were threatened. So just to quickly review, they embraced the body of Christ when they were threatened. They prayed when they were threatened. They... Um, Reminded themselves of God's sovereignty. They asked God for boldness and asked for his power. They, they demonstrated their unity and commitment by giving uh, to each other so that nobody had a need. And they continued on with the mission. Let's just take quickly a look at the results. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They received the blessing of God. They spoke the world word boldly. They experienced great unity and no one was needy. That was the result of them addressing the threats the way they did. Now, I mentioned this at the very beginning. I believe that the, the church right now is in a marginalized position. As a matter of fact, if you read uh, people that write about this stuff, they, they're, they're talking about um, the church on the edges. They're talking about the church in exile. They're talking about the marginalized church. Because the church used to have such a um, fixed and prominent position in culture in North America. But it no longer does. Right? It, it no longer does. And it's been pushed to the, uh, to the edges. And so the church is, is threatened. And as I say that, I... I you know there's two meanings to that. 
There's threatened in the sense of words, and then there's threatened in the sense of what God really will allow. Right? Is the threat real? Is it weighty or is it hollow? I want to suggest to you that it is hollow because the kingdom of God is continuing to grow. The kingdom of God will not uh, be turned back. The kingdom of God is going to prevail. And so I'm not worried about, you know, and, and we need to take encouragement from the fact that we are not going to be uh, threatened in the sense of, you know, it's, it's all coming to an end. Even when you see, you know, beautiful little white churches closing all around, God is prevailing. The kingdom of God is growing, and um, the, the there is these threats are are, are hollow. Uh, ways in which the church has been threatened. I just want to mention two, right? One is we are threatened in our culture to stop declaring the exclusive claims of Christ. We we live in a pluralistic society which um, has as its mantra that um, everything is equal and everything is the same and everything is of equal value. Well, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <coughs> and so we are threatened as the church to stop saying things like that, to stop proclaiming the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. But the fact of the matter is, that's the truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to God the Father. Secondly, we are threatened to stop declaring or standing up for, at least maybe not even standing up is not the right word, um, living or even having the conviction of the values that scripture, scripture teaches. We are being threatened to um, relax in the way of the values that we hold in relation to the sanctity of life, for instance, or in the sanctity of institutions that Scripture upholds. And so, in fact, we are being threatened in that regard. And so, we are under threat. And what I'm saying is that we need to go back to the example of that first century church. I love the fact uh, that all of these writers that I've mentioned, and, and one probably I, I have to say, is my former pastor, who's now a doctor of theology at uh, McMaster University, has written a really good book. It's, it's called The Church in Exile. And all of these books that talk about marginalized uh, church, or church on the edge, they say, this is right where we want to be. Why? Because that's right where the church was in the first century. The church was on the edges. We were on the outside of the culture. And there is no reason to believe that because we're out there that we don't have uh, influence or that we're somehow more threatened. That's where we want to be. <laughs> we want to be on the margins. And so I want to just talk to you quickly in closing about some things uh, that we should do to respond. And the first thing I want to say is what we should not do. And I feel very strongly about this. And it breaks my heart to see the response of some of our church 
uh, not this particular church, but the church, in how it's responding to the threat of the culture that we live in. And the first thing I want to say is this, uh, we are not to respond in kind. And, and by that I mean, there are Christians out there that are, 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 are espousing threats. They're hollow. I mean, I can't be going around threatening non-Christians and sort of saying, you're going to go to hell, you, <laughs> you know, like getting all over non-Christians and sort of being in their face and, you know, pumping myself up. And It's hollow threats. It's only what God wants to do. I don't know what God wants to do. It's not up to me. I know his kingdom's going to prevail. But for me to go around and start shouting hollow threats, that is wrong. <clears throat> Here's a few other things. The use of politics, government, legislation, social action, all of those things. If you think that they are the things that we are to use to respond to the threats, I would su suggest bluntly you're wrong. <laughs> it is not through legislation. It is not through electing a new conservative leader. It is not through getting rid of uh, Justin Trudeau. It is not by, you know, electing Donald Trump. It is not, these, this is not how God is building his kingdom. It is not how we respond to threats. Because that's a dirty business, people. I'm a, stu I'm a student of politics. It, it's tough. And compromises everywhere. And so, don't put your hope in the next leader of some political party. Don't put your hope in legislation or social action. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in real change. In change that comes from inside people, not controls their behaviors. That's where real change is going to come from. We, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. I, I, there's, there's a lot of nasty Christians out there right now, folks. A lot of nasty Christians that are being really mean-spirited towards non-Christians who are being nasty to the gay community. Nasty. <laughs> being nasty to, to people that smoke dope. Being nasty to this, being nasty to that. That is the weapon of this world. That's not our weapon. We believe in a power that, that shreds to pieces the strongholds of this world. And it's got nothing to do with being nasty to people. We have much more powerful tactics at our disposal. And this was not the response of the early church. You know, Peter and John, they could have gotten nasty with the Sadducees, right? They said, you guys, you thought you crucified Jesus, but he, we've seen him in the flesh. You're an idiot. You're a fool. They could have been in their faces. They could have said, you're, you're just a tool of the devil. Go to hell. They could have said all of these nasty things. Did they? You know what they said? <coughs> they didn't say it in these terms, but I'm going to paraphrase. 
with all due respect, we'll listen to God. Thank you. You can tell us what to do, but you know what? We listen to a higher authority. They weren't nasty at all. They simply said, right? And this is the attitude that we we, we don't need to start getting a, a you know a, a hurt on or or get in, angry with the people that are that are that are espousing things that are counter to our culture or counter to our values or or, or, or are changing our society in a way that we think is anti-Christ. Right? We don't need to do that. Actually, probably what we need to do is just love them. Love them. That's the Christ way. And so, the church's response needs to be this. Those are the not-tos. This is the-tos. What we need to do is strengthen our commitment to each other. We need to pray together. We need to obtain God's perspective on the threats. We need to ask for power. We need to ask for guidance, and we need to ask for courage. We need to continue the mission, and we need to continue to just hold out hope to a lost generation of people. Hold out hope. I'm just going to close in reading scripture. Here's a few. Paul was under threat. He was under threat from his very, the very churches he created. There was people inside of them who were threatening him and saying he was fraudulent. He was threatened from the Jewish leaders. He was threatened from the, the Roman leaders. He was threatened just, just by waking up every day because the guy got, had a thorn in his flesh that God let him have. The guy was under duress from uh, just, just living life. The dude lived a horrendous life. He was under duress his whole life. But read what he says. Yes, I'll continue to rejoice. <laughs> For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. I love this expression. For me to live, or for, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There is no leverage there. The world has no leverage when, if I live, I'm going to live for Christ. If I die, I go to Christ. What's your leverage? What have you got on me? What can you do to me? Nothing. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to, part, to, to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I'll, I'll continue with all of you for your progress and joy and faith, so that through my, being filled with, through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. And then Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? These things were threats that he's, he's talking about. What then shall I say in response to these threats? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is already interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or threats? Threats from a post-Christian world. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The threat of this world to our faith is hollow. As hollow as North Korea saying to the United States, we're going to send a nuclear bomb. Well, they don't have the capacity to do that. They can say it all they want. They could be blue in the face saying it. But the thing is, they don't have the technology to do it. And the fact is that the threats of this world to our faith, to the kingdom of God, are hollow threats. Just as they were to those early disciples who were threatened by the Sadducees. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that you are God supreme, that you are in control, that nothing happens without your allowing it to happen, that you are overall, through all, that you started everything and you'll bring everything to its conclusion. And so, Lord, we take great solace and great comfort from that. Help us, Lord, not to use the weapons of this world to fight the battle against those who would seek to threaten us. But help us to follow your Holy Spirit. Let him be our guide as we seek to respond to the threats that we face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.